testosterone-fueled uh, warriors were, were transformed into warriors for Christ. What's the church? I mean, uh, are you talking about where two or three are gathered together in my name? Uh, or are you talking about some kind of Roman spiritual empire? People today tend to think that, you know, women have been oppressed for, for, for generations and have never had any voice and never done anything um, until about 30 years ago. Uh, and then you turn around and find actually they were very influential. Well, welcome to the Ask podcast, and uh, this time we're not with Greg Sheridan, but we are with another author, the author of this book, The History of Christianity, which is a large tome. Um, I have read it with great pleasure. I have so many questions. We could do a hundred podcasts on this, but let me introduce you to uh, the author, and uh, that is Gerald Bray. Gerald, can you tell us who you are for those who don't know you? Right now I'm retired uh, from various things. Um, uh, I'm minister of the Church of England, uh, ordained in the Church of England in 1978. Um, I taught in London for a number of years. Uh, since 1993, um, I've been associated with Beeson Divinity School at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama, which is where mm -hmm. I am right now talking to you. Um, I'm also Director of Research for the Latimer Trust, uh, which is an Anglican uh, so, uh, society uh, based in London. Um, mm -hmm. I live about half the year in Cambridge, uh, so I, I, I commute across the Atlantic. Um, and I, I specialize in uh, history and doctrine, uh, particularly the early church and reformation periods. Okay. Uh that's all fascinating. I mean, I'm working for uh, Anglicans here in Sydney and the Anglican Church, as we know, is a broad church. Uh, what I found particularly fascinating in the book, by the way, was the history of how Anglicanism came to be as well. But can I ask you just very simply straight away, why did you write the book? Uh, I was asked to do it. <laughs> which is always very nice. Um, now, it was a rep from the SPCK, uh, the Society for the, uh, we call it for the Prevention of Christian Knowledge, um, for the Propagation of Christian Knowledge, um, some years ago, who said, we, we need a, a good you know, introduction to British church history. And I said, well, I, I've been teaching the subject for a long time, and I I've, haven't really found anything suitable. Um, uh, you know, I can sit down and write it. So that's how it happened. Are there other histories of the church? I mean, this is a, it's a massive subject. The history of Christianity in Britain and Ireland from the beginning right up to the present day. Is there anything else comparable with that? Well, not directly comparable. I mean, obviously, there are all kinds of books on different aspects of church history. Mm -hmm. um, and some some areas have been uh, very well studied indeed, um, you know, particularly the Reformation period and so on. And, and you can get detailed studies. Um, but general studies uh, are much harder to find. Um, you do occasionally get something, um, you know, 
the late Bishop Mormon pr produced a history of Christianity in England. Um, and then there was somebody who did the same thing for Scotland. I can't remember who it is now. Um, but this was a long time ago. Uh, and uh, various people have written on Ireland uh, at different times. Um, but putting them together, uh, you know, in an accessible way, um, this is unique as far as I know. I agree. I mean, I, I was try racking my brains trying to think, you know, you're right, you've got Rennick, for example, on Scotland, you've got plenty works on particular periods. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it struck me, one of the things about the book is it, it came across the impression to me of how, as a Scotsman, how connected Ireland, Scotland, England and Wales actually are, and that the the United Kingdom, if you like, or Great Britain, it's not really an invention of the 18th century, is it? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, they've been connected right from the very beginning um, mm -hmm. of Christianity. And I think that's an important point to stress because, uh, as well as we, we all know, in recent years, uh, the tendency has been to uh, push apart um, in, in different ways and, uh, you know, to emphasize nationalism and so on. And I think this is a very unfortunate development because um, it loses sight of the commonality um, that there is and uh, that there will always be. I mean, it can't, you, at this point, um, you know, we, we can't get away from that um, because like it or not, uh, we all speak English, um, we all watch the same television programs and so on. I mean, we're much more connected uh, today than we've ever been. Yeah, and I wondered this as, as well in terms of one of the things, again, just an impression from the book is we people often speak of Christianity as very divisive. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that it, Christianity united the United Kingdom, if you like, in a way. So, I mean, I knew, for example, as a good Presbyterian, that the Westminster Confession was designed to unite the church. That didn't work. Mm -hmm. But it seems as though there's an underlying... Um, unity in these nations that's brought about by Christianity. One of the things that we have in common is a common, if varied, Christian history. I mean, is, is that a fair comment? Oh, yes, absolutely. And uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the Westminster Confession because you've probably seen the, the three-volume history of Scottish theology, um, which mm -hmm. came out with Oxford University Press, of all things, um, a, a couple of years ago. And, uh, of course, the Westminster Confession was essentially an English document. Um, I mean, <laughs> Westminster and so on. And there was a, a, a strong Scottish representation. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, that it was designed uh, in, in London and, and produced there. Um, and for political reasons, of course, it, it, it fell apart later on. But um, there was a very close connection. And indeed, the Scottish Reformation um, was very closely connected with England. John Knox, um, you know, was a, was a leading Anglophile, which people tend to forget. <laughs> and yeah, it, I mean, that, that, that's very true. I mean, one of the other things that, again, just giving the impression of the whole volume... Mm -hmm. um, I, I think in today's world, in what I would say, Western postmodernist society, we have a view of history, which is kind of a chronological snobbery. We think that we are more advanced. And, you know, we talk about the Dark Ages. We talk about, you know, uh, 
things back then being so much backwards. As I'm reading through this, I'm getting the impression of um, kind of a deep work of God going on at different times, but also a great deal of intelligence and scholarship, uh, also humanity and so on. I mean, um, there are obviously different periods and there are different technologies. But one of the things I get from the book is um, just how human <laughs> human beings are, you know, and, and also how in one sense there's nothing new under the sun. It, it, is, again, is that something that you, you felt you, do, you don't feel? What I'm trying to say is you don't feel that uh, your book is telling us of a history of progress from a darkness to the modern day light, but rather, is it more circular, circular, or is it up and down, or what's the yeah, story? It's, well, I, I think it's it's very hard to to categorize like that. Um, I mean, as you say, pe people don't change. Um, mm -hmm. You know, human nature stays the same uh, as it always has been, and people take it. They use the opportunities which they have, um, and you see some quite remarkable people. I mean, people like uh, Patrick, for example. Mm -hmm. you know, who was taken as a slave to Ireland and uh, learned the language and then went back to evangelize the country, um, which you might not think would be the thing an ex-slave would do. Uh, but, you know, he, he went and did that and, and, um, uh, and of course, transformed everything. Uh, and then uh, somebody like Bede, you know, who never went more than 100 miles from his home um, and spent his, his entire life really on Tyneside, um, mm -hmm. and yet was the most learned man in, uh, of his time, and indeed, um, you know, could 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 hold his own today against anybody in Durham. Um, uh, you know, he's a most remarkable person. Um, mm -hmm. And then you had people who, whom we don't know by name, like uh, the Kelly Day, you know, the Caldees in in the Highlands of Scotland, who uh, went mm -hmm. around evangelizing. We don't know who they were we don't know precisely what they did um but we see the result um and uh you know they they, they did a very solid work um which has never been uprooted uh so uh these these things are there and uh, i think one of the things too that people forget is that the the important role of women um, uh, in, in Anglo-Saxon England, you know, founding monasteries and so on. Um, uh, there, there's some quite amazing things that you discover. I mean, the famous Lady Macbeth, um, you know, was actually a major benefactress of the church, which um, is not the Im impression most people would have. Um, and, uh, you, you know, th things like that, um, uh, you know, it, when... People today tend to think that, you know, women have been oppressed for, for, for generations and have never had any voice and never done anything um, until about 30 years ago. Um, uh, and then you turn around and find actually they were very influential, um, you know, in, in different ways for many centuries. So things like that um, come out, you know, when you when you look at it. Yes, that, that, that is fascinating um, in, in different ways, particularly I, I, I did appreciate what you wrote about women and um you know there, history is often history of kings isn't it it's history of those who are in power or history and i, I appreciate the emphasis you brought out 
I remember in in Scotland we had this impression of the Picts as being some kind of druidic warriors who were you know if you wanted to be a pagan nowadays you would say oh let's go back to the Picts and like if you were a Christian you'd say let's go back to the Celtic Church which you deny existed but well, <laughs> that's yeah but but um, what what intrigued me I grew up right in the in the the north of Scotland and we had in the village of Ballantor, Chandwick, the seaboard villages, a Pictish stone there. And basically every Pictish stone we 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 discovered that has been discovered has Christian symbols on it. Yes. The notion of the Picts as as pagans, uh, you know, is seems ludicrous. Even you know, it seems from a very, very early on the Picts were as Christian as everybody else. Yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously they were—they must have been pagan at one time because one point, yeah, pagan. But but when the Christianization came, um, it didn't respect that kind of boundary. It just you know it, it, it went <laughs> everywhere. And the the problem we have is that is lack of uh, uh, of knowledge. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, the, there aren't the documents to substantiate. Um, or to make it possible to reconstruct in detail uh, what exactly happened, um, but you know the results are there. I mean, what we what we do see, uh, you know, points in that direction. Can I make an observation? It's it's not a criticism. It's just a, because I think you actually initially when I started reading the book, I actually wrote in. Uh, margins. I, I write a lot in books. My wife hates this, mm -hmm. but um, I'd written that this was a history of the church rather than Christianity. But then, as I went on, I realized more and more that you know there are limitations of our knowledge. By definition, it's going to be about the church. And I thought you brought out very well how Christianity, in one sense, as Richard Dawkins would say, is a bit like a virus. It just spreads, and then suddenly it appears. I mean, what, what would you say to somebody who made a criticism of that, said, that, well, this is all about the church and bishops and so on. It's not about Christianity, which spread amongst the common people, etc., etc. Well, I would say, uh, first of all, of course, you're limited by the evidence that you've got. And the mm -hmm. evidence that we have, you know, tends to be um, evidence that the uh, documents which were composed uh, either by or under the supervision of people like bishops and, and what have you. Mm -hmm. So inevitably, you know, that, that's one thing. But no, the, 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 I, I went, bent over backwards to produce things, for example, like uh, The Dream of the Rude, um, the poetry you see, or St. Patrick's Breastplate. Um, <laughs> you know, evidence that, that isn't from, the, if you like, the church. Um, mm -hmm. and, and to stress that uh, the behavior of individuals I mean, the missionaries, Patrick and, and people like this. I mean, okay, of course they were spreading the church, but um, you wouldn't say it was the church as an institution. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the story, for example, of um, the, the dispute over the, 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 date, the date of Easter, um, uh, which went on for such a long time, shows that uh, it, it wasn't just the institutional church that was, that was in, engaged in this. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, quite a lot of people uh, were, were involved, and uh, when the decision to adopt the Roman uh, usage uh, of Easter was made at Whitby, um, it wasn't automatically accepted by everybody. Um, it, you know, it took a long time. Um, for Iona, for example, to to uh, change, and um, uh, th these were places that 
basically we're self-sufficient and uh, call it the church if you like but what's the church i mean uh, are you talking about where two or three are gathered together in my name uh, or are you talking about some kind of um, Roman Empire, Roman spiritual empire. Um, I think that that kind of distinction um, is really a modern analysis rather than something that was going on at the time. Um, I mean, yeah. people who became Christians belonged to the church, and uh, uh, even though they did, they didn't really have much personal experience of it. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they would know their local community, but uh, I mean, how many people made pilgrimages to Rome or somewhere like that? I mean, almost nobody. Um, so it was more notional than anything else for a very long time. Maybe you can help me with something as well. In, in terms of how Christianity spread, we, we know it spread through the preaching of the word, you know, prayer, the example and so on. And there's an argument about using force. And I remember when I was studying uh, Viking history, uh, reading the Orkneyinga saga, and there's a marvelous line, which I've, I've cited in evangelism classes. It talks about um, Eric Bloodaxe and Thorfinn Skullsplitter, who just are wonderful characters, uh, going to Magnus, Earl of Orkney, I think, uh, and saying to him, the saga goes, they threaten him. They say, we're going to steal your cattle, burn your houses, take your women um, unless you become Christian. And it ends up the the great line at the end is, and so all Orkney was baptized. <laughs> it's, you know, um, how, how do you comment about something like that? You know, well, I think, uh, yes, I mean, th this kind of thing was actually quite common. Um, uh, you know, in, the, in in what you might call the, the conversion of the barbarians uh, uh, <laughs> of Northern Europe. I mean, not just in Scotland, but also in uh, in France and Germany and other places. Um, I think you have to, to say, well, you, you know, as in in all things like this, um, you have to start where the people are, and and the, the the people who did this kind of thing, you know, Eric Bloodaxe and whatever. This is the way they thought. This is the way they lived. This is something they would have done um, for anything. Um, uh, you know, you, you go along with us or else, you know, that's the end of you. Um, this, this would be a fairly standard approach to their whole existence. And I think that the truth of the matter is um, that over time the church um, modified this, changed this. Uh, and where you see it is uh, in, for example, um, the legends of King Arthur, um, mm -hmm. you know, where, where where knightly chivalry was exalted and um, the, the sort of, you know, testosterone-fueled uh, uh, warriors were, were transformed into um, warriors for Christ. Now, I mean, this may not be something that we would do today, uh, but uh, given the circumstances of the time, um, you know, it was a kind of... Uh, transformation over time of this, uh, producing a kind of idealism, um, uh, you know, that uh, I suppose fed into the Crusades eventually and things like this. Um, <laughs> I mean, you don't you don't get away uh, from violence and, uh, and so on completely, um, but the church moved moved in that direction. It moved towards um, uh, changing things, and you see this in many ways. I mean. Um, the church was largely responsible for modifying and eventually abolishing slavery, mm -hmm. um, for example. Uh, the church was responsible for 
raising the status of women um, in, in matrimony uh, by insisting that the parties to a, to a marriage should, should consent. Um, and the idea that the woman, you know, could not be married unless she gave her, her consent, um, which we would take for granted today, um, was almost unheard of, um, you know, in pre-Christian times, because you, mm -hmm. you did what your parents told you to do, and that was that. Um, so, al although these things didn't change overnight, and, uh, you know, it did take time, um, the church was moving in this direction, and, um, the, you know, gradually sort of domesticating, if you like, the, the violence and so on, um, that mm -hmm. you would find in an earlier time. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. Not, don't judge by the first generation. Um, look what happened over, you know, the, the subsequent centuries. I think that's extremely helpful, not least because Christianity seems often to me to work as a kind of evolution rather than revolution. Yes. in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to, before we finish uh, this particular podcast, and there's so, there is so much, I want to go to some of the, the details in the book that are, uh, I, I find, you know, some people think history is boring and, unless it's the big battles. I actually find it's the details that make hi history fascinating. Mm -hmm. And just a couple of things. On page 63, mm -hmm. you talk about the parish system and in theory, everyone ought to have been able to attend weekly worship on foot, although this ideal was not fully realized in the hillier and less populated regions of the north and west. Mm -hmm. I used to go to a church which was in the middle of a field in the Scottish Highlands, uh -huh. and I wondered why it was built there, not in the villages. Mm -hmm. And the answer was given so that everyone could be within two hours walk of the church mm -hmm. when it was built, you know, 250 years earlier. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that the parish system has was was it unique to the British Isles, and has it been particularly beneficial to the British Isles? Well, it certainly wasn't unique. Um, right. The parish system was introduced from continental Europe, um, most likely by the Normans, um, okay, uh, into England in the eleventh century, and then it spread. Um, uh, you know, uh, across because, because it, it, it was a very good way of organizing uh, not just the church but the country. Um, because at that time, uh, of course, there, there wasn't really what we would think of as civil government. Uh, it didn't, it didn't exist. Um, uh, you know, there was no post office or anything like that. Uh, and so, uh, how are you going to, to uh, know? who was living where and, um, you know, the, the, village, the, the different villages and so on. And the parishes were, were designed to define communities. Um, mm -hmm. They weren't um, uh, some sort of scheme, you know, worked out uh, by central government, a sort of like a checkerboard, you know, dividing up the country. Um, uh, they, they were based around local economic considerations, where people lived and so on. Um, and, and we're meant to be a unit like that. Um, and I, I think for many centuries, yes, they were uh, very valuable because within a parish, um, people knew each other and were, were obliged as time went on to take responsibility for each other. Uh, I mean, the origins of things like the poor laws, for example, uh, you know, mm -hmm. this started at the, at the parish level. Um, 
and uh, of course the parish priest or whoever was you know running the, the, the church would be responsible for uh, you know collecting the tithe uh, and things like that and making sure that everybody within that uh, community um, was taken care of in uh, <laughs> one way or another so it, it was a very beneficial system I think the the where it broke down of course uh, was in the industrial revolution um, but what is so interesting uh, it's to me at least at that time um, is the, the the fact that people realized um, the the importance of, of, of parish life and tried to uh, recreate it or revive it I mean someone like Thomas Chalmers for example um, you, you know his uh, sort of social vision um, really comes out of this how are we going to look after people how are we going to um, uh, you know organize now that now that the populations have shifted now that the economy has changed um, and to try to work out how that you know how that could be done um, and of course there were limits to what what was possible because by then mm -hmm. um, you know everything was very sort of clearly defined and um, uh, people had rights and all sorts of other things and uh, huge cities like Birmingham or Glasgow or somewhere like that you know which had, had always existed at, at some level but now became enormous um, and uh, you know the parish system as it, as it had been originally conceived was no longer viable um, uh, so that's the situation you have but even today outside the city areas and the rural in, in, in rural Britain um, I think the parish uh, still is, is still meaningful I've you know as a parish minister in a Highland charge and then in a city charge mm -hmm. I've actually become more and more convinced that the parish model is one that we need to reinvent for today mm -hmm. um, which is why I was intrigued by this because Chalmers St John's experiment was mm -hmm. I think designed on his what 250 quad sacra chapels um, they were designed to recreate the parish within the city that system of care and yes. you know and I, you know my wife's a, a social worker and she are she doesn't argue but um, there is an argument uh, and she got this in her training a little bit that the modern social work system derived out of out of charmers actually particularly his attempt to bring the parish in into the city and so that's you, you know all that it gives the value of looking at history and understanding our roots and we can their value for the present and i am going to finish just now because we're going to come uh next week to look at how this all applies because you very helpfully you you don't stop at say 1950 or whatever you come right up to the modern day and you you have some very um uh, provocative applications which I think are wonderful like all good sermons they should be um, <laughs> that uh, you also have some very good illustration I, I have to mention this one in passing I love this uh, this is on um, heresy the new wine in the old wineskins and on page 147 you say this it may be added in passing that another regulation of the this was of, of the church in England stated that anyone who preached incomprehensibly could also be arraigned for heresy and burnt at the stake how many later generations have lived to regret that this rule has never been enforced? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. You know, and you you had these little quirky details that are just so wonderful. You know, like the Westminster Confession, which I also had noticed ha has something about mental health, yes. which again was just 
it's this so listen can i jared can i thank you for this book it it really is uh, i'm i'm glad i got it in hardback i would absolutely recommend anyone who's got any history in christianity particularly in the uh, in great britain they should have this as a standard textbook. Uh, that's what I, I'm going to say. I, I know nothing like it, and I'm deeply grateful to you for it and, and grateful that you've been willing to come and discuss it with me. Oh, no problem at all. I've, I've enjoyed it very much. We'll see you next week. Okay. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.